Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. What do you think a nurse is? Nice. I think a nurse is pretty cool. A nurse is someone who helps people. Uh, help people. A person who helps people and keeps them alive. A nurse help helps pe- people like get better. Helping people and help and making them feel better. What are some things that nurses do when you go to the doctor? They give you shots. Nurses give you medicine. Help people clean their teeth. They give you medicine. They give you lollipops. After. You want to tell them? Tell me what do you think a nurse does? Did you see one? What do you know a nurse does? Give the doctor the stuff they need. Do you know anyone that's a nurse? My mom. My mom. My auntie. My dad. My grandma used to be one. My aunt, my other aunt, uh, her husband. My dad. Uh, not now, but my mom used to be a nurse. And my dad, too. After, what do you want a nurse to be? Kind? Um, some, someone who's kind, wants to help people when they're hurt. You have to be smart and kind. Mm. Uh, probably not being afraid of blood. Kind and helpful. You need to be very brave. Thank you for all you do, nurses. Thank you, nurses. Thank you, nurses. Thank you, nurses. Thank you, nurses, for everything you do. Thank you, nurses, for helping this community and everybody um, that needs help. Thank you, nurses. When I was a child, our family spent 10 glorious days every summer at Gladstone Camp Meeting up in Oregon. And it was there that my mother took me to the local Adventist hospital's booth and I received my very first nursing cap. It was very special, maybe kind of like this one. I wore that proudly around the campgrounds and I dreamed of the day that I would be a real nurse. Of course, at that time, I had no idea how difficult nursing is. And I also didn't comprehend how much joy and meaning would come from the profession. When a nurse stands at the bedside of a patient, he stands on holy ground. And when the nurse holds a newborn baby or wipes the forehead of a patient who's dying, She extends the hands of God. And when nurses 
offer words of hope and encouragement to patients, I don't think they have any idea what a difference they can make because words are powerful agents for healing. John arrived at our dialysis unit with his wife, Myrna. They were devastated because they had just learned that his kidneys had taken kind of a nosedive and he was going to have to start dialysis much sooner than they had anticipated. It was during the COVID pandemic, so visitors' restrictions were in place, and Myrna was very anxious. The nurse, Ferdinand Tagpus, who was assigned to John, knew immediately that he needed to spend a little extra time here because John was blind. And part of Myrna's anxiety was that she couldn't go with him, and he had recently had a stroke, and he couldn't communicate well. So Ferdinand sat down and explained the whole process to them, answered their questions, and then he took John back to the entrance of the dialysis unit, and he took him by the elbow, and they started counting the steps that John would need to take to get to his chair. All the while that they walked, Ferdinand was explaining and describing what was in the unit and the people that were there and the equipment and Myrna's anxiety level dropped considerably because of Ferdinand's care and compassion. John Milton wrote, apt words have power to swage the tumors of a troubled mind and are as balm to festered wounds. You see, words can heal the spirit. I'm not sure if you could ever encounter someone who is more desperate than a parent whose child is seriously ill. Some of you have been there. You know that agony that just grips your heart, the fear that you feel as you watch your child suffer. You know that instinct that just kicks in and makes you determined that you are going to find some way to help. Well, as we've heard the scripture passage this morning, it tells of such a story. Jairus, this respected leader of the synagogue in Capernaum, and his daughter was sick. I imagine he went to every physician that he could find but she kept getting worse, and now she was close to death. He sent his servants out around the countryside saying, find wherever Jesus is. He had heard stories about Jesus, and he was determined to get him to come. As soon as he learned where Jesus was, he went straight there. I, I can imagine that being who Jairus was, that as he walked up to the crowd or ran up to the crowd, they kind of parted and let him in to have access. He fell at Jesus' feet and said, please come, my daughter is dying. Just touch her so that she can be well. I love the fact that Jesus immediately went with him but unfortunately, he didn't make very quick progress. The Desire of Ages tells us that he was stopped from time to time to bring comfort to a troubled heart. Now think about that one. Bringing comfort to a troubled heart takes time. 
It's not just like you pat somebody on the, on the shoulder and say, okay, take care, be well. So it was slow progress. There were too many people, too many other people besides Jairus who had heard stories about Jesus' miracles and they were hoping they would see one. But there was one woman in the crowd who was determined to experience a miracle. While Jairus was this important man who could come straight up to Jesus, this woman was skirting the crowd because she was an outcast. She was unclean. She was despised. She had been bleeding for 12 years. She had been sick as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive. And she, like Jairus, was desperate. She had no money. She had no companionship. She had nothing but a scrap of hope and a mustard seed's worth of faith. She positioned herself up in front of where the crowd was moving because she knew that she couldn't touch anybody else. If she touched them, they would become unclean. So she had to be very strategic in the way that she worked. But as the crowd was moving toward where she was, they were surging and she had to jump backwards and, and then she saw Jesus. And as he was coming close, she made this frantic lunge and reached out. And she was strong. She could feel the strength in her body. She had her miracle. She straightened up to get away and but no, Jesus turned. Who touched me? I suspect it wasn't an accusing tone. It was one of those questions that invites an answer. But she knew that she was not going to be able to get away in anonymity. Out of everybody in that crowd, only she and Jesus knew what had just happened. She was the only one that we are told about that experienced a miracle there on the way to Jairus' house. I think it's important for us to realize that we can be around Jesus, we can be in church, we can be doing all the right things, but come up empty. But this woman had the key that unlocked the miracle. She stepped forward, maybe feeling a little fearful in spite of what she had heard about Jesus. And she poured out her story. I can imagine Jesus smiling at her and saying, it's okay. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Now you can be relieved of your suffering. Can you imagine? She had just been healed of a 12-year illness. But now Jesus' words brought healing to her entire being. What are the words that you hear from God? A number of years ago, I was sitting in my boss's office. She was the chief nursing officer at the hospital at the time. And before our meeting began, she was just asking me how I was doing, and I poured out a story of, of trauma for me. 
I had made a decision, and there was another leader in the hospital who was very critical of the decision that I had made. And even though I still to this day believe that it was the right decision, I was a mess because she didn't like it. And I wanted to be liked. My boss listened to this, and then without giving any advice or anything else, she just looked at me and she said, Kathy, what do you think Jesus wants to say to you right now? The question stopped me short because I realized that I had been praying about it, but I hadn't done much listening. And so over the next few days as I listened, I sensed that God was saying to me, Kathy, I love you. And that is far more important than what anybody else thinks of you. And that was the beginning of a little shift in my life in the way that I related to approval from others. Well, Jesus calls this woman daughter a term of endearment and tenderness. She is the only person in scripture that Jesus calls daughter. He affirms her to this crowd, this woman who just moments before had been an outcast, and Jesus said it is her faith that made her well. What a blessing. And then he promised peace and he said, be relieved of your suffering. Now this woman had been anemic and sick and weak. She had suffered. But now I suspect that the biggest suffering that she had endured was the suffering from being cut off from the people that she loved. And now Jesus' words brought healing. Meanwhile, Jairus was beside himself. Jesus was taking far too long. And as Jesus was visiting with people, Jairus, out of the corner of his eye, caught someone running toward the crowd. And as the runner got closer, his heart sunk as he realized it was his servant. Don't trouble the teacher. Your daughter has already died. Jairus looked, Jesus looked at Jairus with tenderness and said, don't, don't be afraid. Just believe and your daughter will be healed. Well, of course, Jesus then went with him. He took the parents and those three disciples up in the room where the little girl lay. And he took the child's hand in his and said, little girl, get up. And she did. Another miracle. In both of these stories, Jesus used his words to show how committed he is to healing both physical and emotional pain. Ellen White talks about the power of nurses' words. 
She says, the sick need to have wise words spoken to them. Nurses should study the Bible daily that they may be able to speak words that will enlighten and help the suffering. She goes on to say, nurses should draw people to Jesus. At the height of the pandemic, Julie, a 23-year-old single mother, was admitted to our hospital with COVID and severe panic attacks. She did not want to be alone, but because of her diagnosis, she had to be in isolation, which made it very, very difficult. Her nurse went into the room one day, and she wasn't in her bed. She looked around, and there she saw Julie squatting, huddled, and shivering in the corner of the room. She helped her back to her bed and fetched a warm blanket and... Then she just sat down and talked to her for a few minutes. As the nurse was leaving, she looked up at the whiteboard that was in the room. It's the communication board for patients. And she saw a message that was written on the board from George Fernandez, who was Julie's night shift nurse. It said, Dear Julie, it may take a little time, but you will get better. It's a process. It's okay to be a little scared. We all feel scared sometimes when we're in strange surroundings. When you're afraid, pray to our Lord Jesus. He knows your suffering and cares. George. I suspect there are many in the church today and those watching online who have been encouraged by the words of a nurse at some point in your life. About a year ago, I had a conversation with a woman whose husband had been brought here to our emergency department after he had a stroke. Now, they are not church-going people, but she knew about Loma Linda, and she was very happy that he was being brought here. After her husband had gone off to CT scan, the nurse was uh, straightening things up in in the room, and the woman started telling the nurse about her life. Their daughter had just had a terrible car accident. Their 12-year-old son had been recently diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Why? Why is God doing this to me? She asked. The nurse turned and looked at her and she said, the way I understand God, he is not causing you harm. God loves you. He wants what is best for you. She told me, I thought God was punishing me for something. Then the nurse gave her a little book that had scripture promises in it. As this woman told me about her husband's full recovery, it was very clear that the story was all about the nurse and the nurse's words and how they brought hope at such a dark time. Have you ever thought about what goes into the making of a nurse? That quiet confidence of an experienced nurse has to start somewhere. Imagine what it's like to stand outside the room of your very first patient when you're in nursing school. I remember the terror. It takes a lot of courage to open the door and go in, to keep showing up. Being new is not easy. 
We've talked about how words can build up, but words can also tear down. Emily Merwin is a poet and a nurse here in our CCU. And I've asked her to share a poem that she wrote about being new and about some words. At 5.35, I learned that I had passed the NCLEX. Hours later, a patient asked me, so are you a nurse? I had no idea what to tell him. Was I allowed to say yes? When does acting become real? I wonder, like Pinocchio, a wooden toy dreaming of flesh. Six months into saying yes, a mere 30 seconds into your room, and look at you, already trying to break me. How long have you worked here? Why don't you go find someone who knows what they're doing? You are a wounded sniper, and I am the messenger who was shot. It's a tricky thing to make room for the becoming, the almost, the not quite yet. To make room for grit without losing the dream and speak the words, hello, it's good to meet you. I will be your nurse tonight. Thank you, Emily. Learning takes time, and experienced colleagues and compassionate leaders make all the difference. Emily told me about a day early in her nursing career where she was taking care of a woman with an extensive drug abuse history. She was going wild, trying to take off her oxygen, trying to climb out of bed, and Emily felt completely at a loss. She didn't know how to handle the situation, and yet she didn't want to admit that she was so unsure. And then just before the change of shift, she learned from another nurse that the doctors had decided to intubate her patient. She was terrified. She had never even seen an intubation while she was being oriented. And in her own words, it was the final blow on a day where I had felt in control of nothing. This was my patient, but other people were doing what I assumed I should have a handle on, and the only logical deduction from all of this was that I was wholly useless and incompetent. The next time I worked, my manager asked me to come to her office, and I assumed I was in for a lecture, but she sat back in her chair and just asked me to tell her about my day. So I told her what had happened, how I had tried, but I just felt 50 yards behind all the time, and how would I ever be good enough and not constantly nervous of making some fatal mistake? You've been here for 30 seconds, Emily. It usually takes about two years for a nurse to find their footing working in critical care. I don't remember if she used the exact words, you're going to be okay, but that was the impression I left with. She probably has no idea the impact she has had on me or how exhausted and disillusioned I was with nursing after just 10 months. But I think she's part of why I stayed in. She had been a nurse for nearly twice as long as I had been alive. So if she thought I could do this, maybe it was true after all. I needed someone to believe that for me before I could believe it for myself. For nurses at all levels of expertise, the last two years have been brutal. 
Can you remember back to March of 2020? Back before politics and COVID got intermingled? Back when we just knew we had lots of questions and no answers? COVID seemed so capricious. I don't think most of us realize the courage that it took for healthcare workers to show up every day. Many of our healthcare providers had elderly family members living with them or children who were immunocompromised. And they stayed in hotels for weeks on end so they wouldn't risk their family's health. They made huge sacrifices. And then when they came to work, they faced heartbreak on a daily basis. Many of them would facilitate last conversations by taking an iPad into their dying patient's room and helping them talk to their family members who were waiting outside of the emergency department. Some days they would get phone calls from people just yelling at them, literally, on the phone, accusing them of killing their loved ones. Can you imagine coming to work and risking your own health and then being accused of harming people? Many saw nothing but COVID patients for over a year. One day in January of 2020 in our medical ICU, which had 24 beds at that time, we had seven patients die of COVID. It was hard work. But every day, hundreds of nurses and employees in all disciplines have showed up here at Loma Linda and in healthcare settings around this community and around the world because they have committed themselves to serving their God. But this message today is not just for nurses. It doesn't matter if you are working in some other field, if you are retired or a student. We all receive words and we all have the ability to offer life-giving words. But with that comes the other side because we have to watch our words. Too often we use our words to criticize and tear down instead of encourage other people. Our culture takes to the airwaves and to social media and we have turned words into weapons of mass destruction. At the beginning of the Ministry of Healing, Ellen White says, in choosing men and women for his service, God does not ask whether they possess worldly wealth, learning, or eloquence. He asks, do they walk in such humility that I can teach them my way? Can I put my words in their lips? Will they represent me? God has a history of doing that giving words to people who follow him. He promised to help Moses when he called Moses to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. He said, now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Of course, Moses didn't believe him and God had to call Aaron. And then 800 years later, Jeremiah told about his calling by God. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. 
and he will do it for us too. Don't you feel the need for that? For God to give you his words? I don't know about you, but there are so many times I feel completely inadequate in the presence of suffering. Michelle told me about standing at the bedside of a little girl who was dying. The mother was there and shook her finger at Michelle and said, Jesus may be walking the halls of this hospital, but he hasn't made it to my daughter's room yet. Everything in Michelle's being wanted to defend God, to say, oh no, he loves your daughter. But she knew the time wasn't quite right. She needed to sit in that pain with that mom. And because she didn't know what to say, she did the right thing and just remained silent and offered up a prayer to God saying, please give me the words. And after a long while, Michelle turned to her and said, that must feel very lonely. The tears flowed and a long conversation and and Michelle did have an opportunity to talk about God's love. It might not have happened if she had just responded immediately. Are there people in your life to whom God may want to deliver some words? Words of encouragement and hope? Maybe through a card or a phone call or a personal visit? Have you been in conflict with someone? Ask God to give you the right words. Is there someone to whom you need to offer forgiveness? He will help you. Nearly four years ago, my husband Jim and I received some encouraging words in an, in an unexpected time. Jim had been diagnosed with cancer. He had had an MRI and then surgery, and we were quite optimistic. It looked like everything was good. But about a week after his surgery, he received a phone call from Dr. Herb Ruckel, his surgeon. He said, I don't have good news, Jim. The pathology came back, and there are cancer cells in your lymph nodes. Jim was stage four. It was devastating news. They talked about treatment recommendations, and Dr. Ruckel answered Jim's questions, and then he said, I'd like for you to go and get a piece of paper. I want you to write something down. And expecting that it would be some kind of a medication or something that he needed to do, Jim says, I'm ready. Dr. Ruckel said, it's just three words. I'd like you to write them down and put them on your refrigerator. It's not hopeless. That's very different than saying there's hope. There's something about it's not hopeless that acknowledges the gravity of the situation. And those three words helped to carry us through months of chemo and radiation. And those words are still on our refrigerator. Because thanks to God, it is not hopeless. Words, they have the power to hurt and they have the power to heal. May our words bring life.
find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.